One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the CapEx podcast brought to you by the Centre for Policy Studies. I'm John Ashmore, the editor of CapEx. Volodymyr Zelensky became a global icon almost overnight following the Russian invasion of Ukraine in February of this year. The force of his leadership and defiance in the face of overwhelming Russian pressure offered hope in his country's darkest hour. For our guests this week, Zelensky's heroic defiance came as no great surprise. Yulia Mendel worked as the president's press secretary from his election in 2019 until 2021. And her new book, The Fight of Our Lives, is both a close personal account of working for Zelensky and a moving tribute to a country whose very existence has been imperiled by the Putin regime. She joined us down the line from Kiev, a city still living under the daily threat of Russian bombardment. Yulia, thank you very much indeed for joining us here on the CapEx podcast. First of all, I mean, what is the situation? You're in Kiev right now. How are you feeling? How are people in, in, in Kiev feeling? What's daily life like in the Ukrainian capital? Uh, John, thank you for having me. Uh, so, uh, yes, Russia escalated uh, uh, its attacks uh, on Kiev and Ukraine recently. It happened uh, around two weeks ago when the capital of Kiev started being bombarded again. And we woke up with deja vu, the same as it was happening back in February 24 and 25. And actually, in the first attacks on Monday, uh, around 20 civilians were killed just in ordinary Ukrainian citizens around Ukraine. Eight of them died in Kiev. And we all saw those terrible videos and photos from the park or from the uh, uh, playground for children uh, where missiles hit. And that's actually terrible feeling. You don't feel secure, absolutely. You feel like everything can happen to you, to your friends, to your family. I have people whom I know, my close people, family who lives in the center of Kyiv. They saw the missile hitting, they've heard uh, the, the, the sounds. And you understand that, you know, any moment you can wake up and you just live in ordinary house and something can happen to you. 
This is nothing but terrorism. We see that Russian army is being defeated by Ukrainian army on the ground. Uh, I am traveling to the front lines. I was talking to Ukrainian soldiers. They are very determined to return our lands and people and, you know, to kick out Russian army from Ukraine. And that's why when Putin starts losing uh, on the ground with his army, he starts terrorizing Ukrainian civilians. It's, it's terrible. Um, and it's actually, you know, it actually shows it actually shows that they they feel weak, you know, they feel desperate to some point because they cannot cope with military means. Right now, um, Russian missiles and Russian Iranian drones, kamikaze, are destroying Ukrainian energy facilities all around Ukraine. And we see that part of Ukraine is sitting without electricity. We are doing everything possible to renew the facilities. At the same time, imagine the cities of millions of people with uh, hospitals, schools, uh, um, you know, uh, with cafes, restaurants, where there is no water and there is no electricity. It's a humanitarian disaster. It's a humanitarian disaster. So um, we, again, heavily rely on the West. Even here, we see that the Western partners are sending us some electricity equipment to help go through this. But at the same time, uh, everything that Russia is doing is absolutely terrifying for ordinary people, absolutely terrifying for for in terms of looking from the human values perspective. But what I see in Ukrainians when I talk to them, they are not desperate. Of course, it's scary, but they're very, very angry. Mm. And they are not going to give up. 87% uh, of Ukrainians said that they don't want to cede Ukrainian land to Putin. Uh, the more missiles and kamikaze drones fly to Ukraine, the more Ukrainians are determined, determined to finish this war, to kick out Russian army, to get peace, you know, and to stay sovereign and independent country. Sure. And um, we will we'll return to the war um, and what's going on there. But I want to talk about uh, your book, The Fight of Our Lives, which has um, been released recently, and about your own journey, because your story is, is really interesting one to me. Um, because you, you grew up in a primarily Russian-speaking part of Ukraine, but Ukrainian is still your first language. And you're very much a kind of a child of the new Ukraine without the sort of post-Soviet history, the older, um, sorry, the Soviet history, rather, that older generations have. I mean, for our listeners, tell us a bit about, you know, where you come from and how you came to be Volodymyr Zelensky's press secretary. Ah, that's not a short story, John. Thank you. Well, in the fight of our lives, I'm trying to show through my personal story the development of democratic, independent Ukraine. I was five years old when the USSR collapsed officially, but such a huge structure that was existing for over 70 years in my country could not collapse with just signing of the documents. So the atmosphere, the rules, the system of the society was still existing. It it was transforming, it was changing. And as I remember my early childhood, it was so dark, to be frank, when, when there were all these Soviet Union rules still in the society, there were 
so much darkness because there were so many limits there was no um anything about uh, a human being there was always about the state and necessity uh, to sacrifice for the state to die for the state you know uh, people uh were very limited in their choices there was a huge poverty and ukraine really did so much to transform into the civilized country Yes, definitely we are the we were the poorest country in Europe. But at the same time, we've done so many reforms to uh, transform to capitalist system, to the open market system, to fight corruption, to change the mindsets of our people. You know, right now, when I have a lot of people in occupied territory, for the reason that, as you mentioned, I come from the Russian-speaking southern region of Kherson, and this uh, uh, part of the country is now under Russian occupation. So when I talk to the people there, uh, I've heard these very important words when people said, now we see what we achieved. Because for the reason they could uh, somehow complain about the quality of road or uh, for, for the lack of uh, some equipment in the hospital. But when Russians came and started stealing their toilets and washing machines, they understood that, you know, they really had different life. They all remembered what it was to be in 90s in Ukraine when there was no light we had water like um, two four hours per day uh, we could not afford ourselves buying jeans I come from quite a modest background for my mom $20 is still like a huge amount of money and in 90s we barely uh, had any food uh, 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 so we relied just on our granny uh, the garden you know so what I see, you know, uh, despite of this poverty, I've got a chance to get a good education. I've got a chance uh, to apply to a good job and to get it in a meritocratic way. I was appreciated for working hard, for having some talents, for, you know, devoting energy and time. And that's what it means to live in the democracy. and. I won a huge competition uh, to become press secretary of Volodymyr Zelensky. Before that, I used to work for the World Bank as a communications consultant and to contribute to the New York Times. And President Zelensky became the first Ukrainian president to open transparent competitions. And President Zelensky became the first Ukrainian president to open transparent competitions for top political positions. Uh, imagine that he was as popular as a rock star. Everybody wanted to work for him. And I applied, uh, having in mind that my chances were very, very little. There were around 4,000 of applicants. And I won the competition for becoming press secretary to the president of Ukraine. I understand that this would never happen if we still were the part of Soviet Union or if we, for some reason, chose Russia. You know, I would definitely have different life. And sometimes I'm imagining how this life would look like. And I understand that either I would be turned into some propagandist or I would be just the part of opposition, always fighting the Kremlin. But I would never enjoy having a career, you know, uh, working as a foreign correspondent, contributing to Western media, you know, and having this chance to have the voice of truth. Um, so what 
Putin is doing right now and how I can describe it. He, try, he tries to return all the horrors from the 20th century, from the World War II, from the famine, genocidal practices. But he also wants to return Ukraine there in the 90s when we didn't have even light and water. And I see that people are so open-minded. They already have so many connections with the West, the education, the new generations are so new, you know, that we do not allow him to, to make us afraid. We, we are not afraid of this. We are determined to return to the life of democracy. Now, tell me, what's it been like seeing your former boss become this global icon in such unfortunate, horrible circumstances, obviously. But have you been in any way surprised at the way he has um, conducted himself since February at his steadfastness and determination in the face of, you know, I think a lot of the previous generation of Ukrainian politicians would probably have just run, a, you know, run a mile and left the country rather than saying, you know, uh, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. Uh, John, um, in my book, I'm explaining the transition of Volodymyr Zelensky, uh, the leader of the country in war. And I'm uh, pre pretty explicitly saying that I was not surprised that Volodymyr Zelensky stayed in the country because he showed to the world uh, what I used to see working with him shoulder to shoulder every day for 25 months. And Volodymyr Zelensky wanted to achieve peace in Eastern in 2014. And he was traveling there for every month. And that was the region where Ukraine still had military actions. He was not afraid to go to the front line just to handshake with the soldiers. But I also witnessed so many situations when the shelling began and we were at the front lines, for instance, and the security guard did not allow President Zelensky to go to the front line. And he was fighting uh, um, his uh, bodyguard and going back to the soldiers. Once he said that as a leader, he cannot run away when his soldiers are in danger. That's, uh, that shows that President Zelensky was taken personally and prioritizing this issue of security and this issue of staying with people in the most dramatic crisis. That's why when he said that I'm staying in Kiev, I knew he. this is, was the most correct way of his personality and his behavior. He might have been criticized for uh, building some systems, for making mistakes in politics, who does not. But in the chaos of war, he was the leader that Ukraine needed. And he did everything to unify Ukrainians, to raise their spirits and to unify the whole civilized world around Ukraine against Russian aggression. Yeah, what's interesting to me as well is the way you describe his approach in the years immediately after his election, so 2019 to until the beginning of the war. Because in the rest of the world, he's well known as having been a comedian, an entertainer. But the man that you present, he is that, but he's also a shrewd a businessman, an administrator, a, a, a law graduate, you know. What, what was his kind of personal approach to government and what was it like for you personally working for him? 
uh, well, uh, I have a lot of I have a lot of details in my book, The Fight of Our Lives, about um, the beginning of uh, Zelensky's presidency. And here I can say such conclusions that he was always underestimated because of how popular he was as a comedian. At the same time, people forget that he is a lawyer by education and that um, he has built such a huge business and an empire of humor in post-Soviet country. And that was so hugely challenging uh, target. Uh, when Russia was penetrating the information and entertainment businesses, spheres in Ukraine, when Russia was banning his performances, he managed to achieve such a success and that was enormously difficult thing. I think he shaped as a leader at that moment. I'm explaining a lot of situations when he had conflicts on this personal professional level with Russia and when he stood for his right to choose and to go his way. At the same time, uh, at the same time, as a novice into politics, of course, he and his team had uh, some mistakes. As a press secretary, I had the challenges uh, with dealing with media. Uh, and I'm having this big story uh, that I had at the very beginning. Let me say, when the world now watches Volodymyr Zelensky from nearly every uh, TV channel and reads him in every biggest newspaper. They hardly can imagine that in 2019, his team strongly recommended him not to provide any comment or interview and actually didn't want President Zelensky to interfere with media at all. So as a press secretary, I needed to stand against this post-Soviet practice and uh, actually, I was fighting for the right of media to have its presence um, as, as a part of actually democracy. And I'm very happy that when President Zelensky needed to make this choice, he understood that media was the part of democratic way of development. And I organized uh, dozens and dozens of his interviews to so ma many media around the world. Well, tell us a bit about the the country that he inherited from Petro Poroshenko, who our listeners probably have heard of, but he was a kind of a big oligarch. He runs a, a confectionery conglomerate called Russian. Um, and, you know, what was the power of that kind of oligarch class in Ukraine and, and how did Zelensky go about dealing with them? Well, John, thank you very much. That's not the easy question. No. <laughs> so uh, let me say that Ukraine has been under Russian influence for 31 years of its independence. And definitely President Petro Poroshenko uh, was the best choice after Ukraine political elite collapsed uh, because of Russian, pro-Russian president, very corrupt president, Viktor Yanukovych. Mm. So Ukrainians chose President Poroshenko with 54% in the first round, and he, he gained his position in a democratic way. Uh, president, under President Poroshenko, there were many reforms done uh, to help Ukraine to uh, join the European Union and to open uh, markets in Ukraine. At the same time, you are absolutely 
absolutely right that President Poroshenko was um, the representative of the old class politicians in Ukraine, which meant they had very Soviet mindset. Uh, and uh, yes, he was an oligarch who was uh, thinking about his own benefit in many ways. He used to have over 100 of businesses in Ukraine. He was a media mogul um, and his media did not uh, take care a lot about media standards, but more about vested interests of, of his group. So uh, what I saw, uh, there was a progress definitely for the country in war, we stabilized macroeconomy and together with the Western partners, we did a lot of reforms in banking sector and many other spheres uh, that were very corrupt. At the same time, corruption still stayed as a tradition in Ukraine political class. Ukrainians were very tired because elite was living for its own benefit, never taking care about Ukrainians. When in 2018, two major candidates from old politicians, Petro Poroshenko and Yulia Tymoshenko, uh, appeared to be the major candidates for 2019 presidential election, people were so tired. Only 14% of Ukrainians had some positive view about future of Ukraine. They understood that there was the change of faces, but nothing actually had been changing in the country for, for many people living in the regions. The salaries were low. Uh, people, Many people in the regions were really living behind the poverty line and they needed the hope. So when Zelensky announced he was uh, running for presidency, many people saw that a sign of hope. And uh, in 10 months, uh, in the next polling, 44% um, of Ukrainians had uh, positive uh, expectations from Zelensky's presidency. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hmm. I want to talk about this um sort of language issue because uh, as I mentioned, you grew up in a Russian-speaking area, but you speak Ukrainian as your as your first language, and like many Ukrainians, you're basically bilingual. 
One of the Kremlin's great myths about Ukraine is that Russian speakers are somehow persecuted, even though I think every Ukrainian president has been a Russian speaker. Um, and what do you make of this? And do you think that what is the Ukrainian attitude towards that linguistic issue? Uh, John, a broad Russia, question, I know, but uh, absolutely. Let me say, John, that Russia weaponized language to use it in its military and geopolitical imperialistic ambitions. Russia monopolized Russian language, uh, which is absolutely wrong. Russia forgot that Ukraine is absolutely different country. Uh, Russia always has been treated, treating Russia always has been treating every other post-Soviet nation as a sub-nation, uh, as if Russia was gifting us this Russian language. At the same time, Ukrainian language has been banned at least for 40 times in the previous centuries. That meant that Ukrainians were not allowed to speak Ukrainian in public places or write in Ukrainian or study in Ukrainian. And I mean, that was happening in the last century too. But still Ukrainian language preserved. A lot of Ukrainians speak Ukrainian. It's our national language. And Russia made this huge mistake by thinking that if there are Russians speaking Ukrainians, then they want Russia in Ukraine. Then they want autocracy or Putin or whatever. But that's wrong. Uh, Ukraine has long ago demonopolized Russian language. Ukrainians are Russian-speaking Ukrainians. It's the same as English-speaking British, English-speaking American, English-speaking Indian, English-speaking Australian. This, this is the common language for many countries, the national language for many countries. People speak it without fighting each other. At the same time, let me say that there is a huge change, uh, shift of view into Russian language because many Ukrainians, especially influencers, prominent Ukrainians, intellectuals, intellectuals, they see already Russian as a language of terrorism for the reason that it was used for this huge invasion. It will be very hard to understand how many Ukrainians died because of this invasion, but that will be dozens of thousands. And there is no justification for this cruel invasion, for this terrible, brutal war in Ukraine, especially when it comes to language. Let me say that Yes, there are, there are cities uh, and regions where Russian prevails. At the same time, if you go to the front line, you will see that some person from a Ukrainian speaking Lviv and a person from a Russian speaking Odessa will fight shoulder to shoulder Russians for Ukrainian values, for the values of free world, for the way to have democracy in our country. And language does not have any issue there. Right. And I mean, how how are Ukrainians feeling now, do you think, with we're more than six months or pretty much approaching six months since um, eight months, eight months. Sorry, my maths is uh, <laughs> we're, we're eight months into this war. Obviously, it's extremely, you know, uh, personally draining uh, to be involved. 
do Ukrainians see that? Do they feel that they're winning, or is it hard to to feel that when you see so much destruction and and you know so many frightening things? Well, we will need to figure out what the victory will be for Ukraine, but we have a feeling that we have already the first victory. We state an independent and sovereign state. Uh, Russia wanted to kill our president, to put their puppet regime there. No, we have our own leadership and we have our rules in our country. Uh, the second our victory is that our bravest army and people they showed such a spirit to the world and with the help of the western partners with all the resources that we get we managed to defeat the corrupt russian army at the same time yes you are right that people are very tired physically i still see that there is a very high spirit and a very high morale everywhere at the front line i asked the soldiers if they were afraid of something and they say we are not afraid for the reason that we don't have the right for this. If As soon as we are afraid, we will lose and we are going to win. So uh, the thing is that uh, Ukrainians are very determined. Uh, in my book, The Fight of Our Lives, I'm explaining that at the beginning, of course, there was the feeling of desperacy because the whole our world was collapsing around us. Everything that we were building, planning, that was collapsing. Our life, our families, friends, houses, country, uh, everything was collapsing. Right now, we understand that he tried almost everything and he didn't break us. Kiev has uh, traffic already. It's hard to find a parking slot, which means people are coming back. Ursula von der Leyen said that um, European Union accepted 8 million of refugees and five of them returned back to Ukraine already, which is a big number. Uh, so Ukrainians are looking forward to finishing this war, of course, but we are devoted to the independence of our country more than ever. Do you think that ordinary Ukrainians feel grateful for support from Western countries such as the UK? I mean, we know Boris Johnson was a very popular figure um, in Ukraine, or are they frustrated that it took so long for the things they've been asking to to actually materialize ukrainians are pretty full of the news these days uh i met several people who used to avoid politics and news, but now they all are there and we pretty understand that there was huge underestimation of ukraine by almost the whole world and many western countries were giving us few days and one country even was giving us a few hours. But if you go to the Great Britain, uh, that was different. They were more optimistic and they were telling even before the war that they will stand with Ukraine and that you, they believed that Ukraine would stand. Now we see they were not optimists, they were realists. And when Ukraine was really prizing all the politicians that were coming to Ukraine uh, under the whistle of bombs and missiles, uh, we were really very, very grateful. That is the biggest way of appreciation, the biggest way to show that uh, the country stands with us when people, uh, uh, politicians, they risk their lives. Uh, at the same time, Ukrainians were seeing every Briton uh, understanding and appreciating our fight here. Um, 
let me say that Great Britain was one of the first to provide us weaponry. And this faith meant for us a lot. So when we talk about Great Britain, this is a little bit different than just the, the whole West. But we really appreciate that many countries, they shifted their policies. And we appreciate how the West is united to stand for the sanctions against Russia, how businesses are united. Have you seen that Russian vodka was poured just uh, onto the streets, you know, that all these big brands, they left Russia. Russia, that uh, financially Russian cards are not accepted, that Russian chauvinism, uh, Russian chauvinism and fascism against Ukrainians abroad is also not accepted. And this is very meaningful for us. Again, I will tell you that Russia was always conducting, behaving as if Ukraine was a sub-nation. And now we see that the world stands for us and says, no, Ukraine is as us. Ukraine is equal nation, and we will stand to prove that. So it's very, very meaningful. I have the numbers. Uh, the latest was that over 80% of Ukrainians conceded that um, they, they were uh, sacrificing their lives for this war, but they could do this only with the help of the West, which is very, very meaningful number. So just to finish off, um, Yulia, what... If you were in, if you were still in the president's office and you were face to face with, I don't know, the heads of NATO or Joe Biden or whoever, what would you ask them for now? I would ask to stay united with Ukraine till the very end because the war won't finish on the battlefield. Russia is destroying our economy. And Commander in Chief Valery Zaluzhny of the Ukrainian army said that. Russia will uh, prepare for a new war when this one finish is finished. Uh, and we believe this is true. The West should understand that Russia itself is the threat. And we will have a very short period of time to do our homework and to try to join the Western structure, structures or to get as close as possible, let's say, to NATO structure, to get trained, uh, 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 to get strong. So uh, we would ask to stay united with us so that we appear to be a strong, equal partner. And if Russia wants to fight again, Russia will understand that it's not just a, a beating one small sub-nation. It's actually the fight with the free world which Russia wants for many, in many ways shows it wants it. So uh, yes, I would like to ask to stay united in all this terrible crisis through this war for democracy. And as soon as the battlefield finishes to help us to make, to become stronger uh, to, to, because we have Russia at the border all the time. Well, Yulia, I hope that uh, our politicians do listen to the CapEx podcast and take heed of your uh, advice. Thank you so much for joining us under what are very testing circumstances. I'm sure uh, I share the views of most of our listeners when I say we wish you all the very best and uh, we hope that Ukraine prevails. Um, and to you all at home, thank you as ever for listening and do tune in next week for another episode of the CapEx podcast. Imagine. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.